I will be teaching more than preaching today, but we'll be in Galatians chapter 2. However, we always read a different text. We're going to read a text that goes along with this from Acts chapter 11. So turn to Acts 11 and plan on going over to Galatians chapter 2. Had a great uh, meeting yesterday, get my day straight. Got a, received a call from a uh, retired colonel of Air Force Green Beret, not Air Force, Army Green Beret, uh, and, uh, and Nathaniel Stevenson and his wife said, we're coming through Chattanooga, we, we want to see you. And what a great time of reminiscing. They said they remember almost 40 years ago, Mary was pregnant, and we came to the door and knocked on the door and invited him to church. And those kind of memories are just wonderful to experience. So we had a good time with them uh, last night. And, uh, and they're now 65, and I hadn't seen them in 30 years, so it was like, whoa, I'm looking for old people. Uh, but, and they were as well, but great time of fellowship, and I just, uh, kind of encouragement for me for the week. I was, um, we're talking about humility later today, I was reading about a true story about a guy named Thomas Mueller, a big executive, wealthy man, and his wife were driving down a one-lane highway and stopped into a gas station. There was one, one pump, one guy. And he thought, well, it's just one guy. I'll help. I'll check my oils back, you know, in the 60s and 70s when we actually did some work. And uh, so the guy did his oil, uh, a gas and he did his oil. And he noticed his wife talking with the guy pretty enthusiastically. And after he checked his oil, he got in the car and waited as she continued to talk. And she got in the car and he said, do you know him? She said, you wouldn't believe it. He's an old boyfriend. I used to date him. And he, and he became proud, and he began to drive down the road. He said, aren't you glad that you married me uh, instead of him? I'm an executive. He's pumping gas. And she said, dear, if I'd married him, he'd be the executive. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, love this story. Stand when you find it. We'll read nine verses. Such an enlightening story, and we'll explain more as we go. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. Now these are Jews. Saying, Thou wentest to the men uncircumcised and did eat with them, did eat with them. Peter rehearsed the, the, the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance. I saw the vision a certain vessel descend as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by the four corners, and it came even unto me. Now let me explain to you. I know I'm a teacher, I can't hardly go without teaching. The sheet, remember, a table to the Jew was just a, a mat, just a sheet, just a piece of cloth and animal skin they ate on. So he sees a table is what he sees. And he says here, it comes down, and upon which I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air, fowls indicating a dirty bird. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, slay, and eat. But I said, uh, I said, no, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath, hath my, any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God hath cleansed, call that not common or unclean is what that means. Let's pray. God bless us. 
We take a look in the book for a walk in the world, God, that we'll glean something. We'll, we'll get some of these handfuls that you leave us on purpose to, to just help us grow strong. We thank you for the meat of the word, the milk of the word, the honey from the rock, and the, the bread of life that you've given us. Bless us now. And Lord, I don't know what's in the hearts of my people, but you do, and I just pray you speak. Speak through me to them. Encourage all of us today. Rebuke us if we need it. Lift us up. Slam us down, God, if we need chastening. But just speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And you know the, the, the background here. We've talked about it enough. And next week we won't be in Galatians because of Father's Day. But we've already covered the fact of justification by faith and how Galatians deals so much with that. Barnabas and Paul had evangelized Galatia and started many churches there. We know there are several churches they started. And now he has to, uh, he tell, he's telling a story about how he had to confront Peter in Antioch because of Peter's hypocrisy. And uh, he uh, gets to Antioch, confronts Peter. Uh, Antioch at the time was controlled by Rome. Antioch's the capital of Syria at the time. And this was the headquarters of the, Gent- of the Gentile mother church in Antioch. The church that really was the strongest Gentile church. And Paul was sent out from there on his three missionary journeys. Remember, the Jerusalem church was the center of the activity in the Jewish world. The Jerusalem council met there. This is Antioch, a Gentile area and a Gentile church, the mother church. And here we find several things. We find here he's going to rebuke Peter. He's going to remind us again. We won't spend much time on justification by faith, but once again he goes back to that. And uh, to rebuke the people who thought they needed to be circumcised. And today we would apply that to many other things people think. And finally, the realization of Christ in you. Did you know he's in you? And we find that out in Galatians also as well as Ephesians. So we pick up in verse 11. And we find here in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. Back over in Galatians. Paul says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Isn't that interesting? Peter and Paul having a confrontation. Paul, who hadn't been saved as long as Peter, didn't spend three and a half years with Jesus like Peter, was saved on the Damascus Road, loved the Gentiles, a well-educated Jew, but called to the Gentiles is now confronting Peter, who's kind of the, the, the rock of the church. I mean, not, not the rock. Christ is the rock. But, you know, he's, he's a chip off the old block. And he's called a pillar later by Paul. So he calls him a pillar in, in, in Galatians, yet he's rebuking him. After this, Peter writes in Peter and calls, refers to Paul's writings as the word of God and tells people to read Paul's writings. So they were mature men. And, and I like that that they can have a confrontation and still work together. You know, an immature person can't reconcile. While you confront them and point something out in their life, and they'll quit on the church and quit on God and say, I'm, I'm not putting up with that, they get bitter. And, and that's, that's not right, you know. We need to be mature enough when we have to confront someone who's in sin or doing something wrong, in love, point it out. Well, Paul is confronting Peter here. And uh, he says he was to be blamed. And this word translated blame is translated condemned in 1 John 3, if our hearts condemn us. So he's nailing the nail on the head. He's saying, Peter, you are wrong. 
You need to be put in your place, condemned. He blames him, he says here. Why? Well, verse 12 tells us, because some people came from the Jerusalem church. James, remember, was the head of the church. James is the Lord's half-brother and writer of the book of James. Some of those Jewish brethren had come down, come to Antioch and come up to Antioch, and uh, Peter acted different around them. Now, there's some things we need to say about eating. Uh, the law would forbid eating a lot of the Gentiles' foods. It would not forbid eating with Gentiles. That was wrong. Jews did stretch the law and add rules to the law, but Jesus ate with Gentiles, and we know it was okay. But rabbis would forbid buying food from Gentile markets because it wasn't what they call today kosher. That's all man-made stuff as well. And rabbis don't need to bless the food for you to eat it. But the Pharisees then would add all their interpretations and add all kinds of rules. They had rules for cleansing ceremonially. ceremonially uh, you had to cleanse a certain way uh, to abide by the rules of the Pharisees. Now go back to Genesis chapter 9 because it's important you understand what's going on here with eating and how it all began. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, it says here, in Genesis 9.3. And you'll want to understand this principle. It says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. So remember, when God created the heavens and the earth, after the fall of man, he, and they didn't eat meat until the fall of man, until sin. But afterwards, he said, you can eat anything you want to. Any living creature you can eat. That's before the law. When the law was given, there were laws that said you can't eat a bunch of stuff. You can read about it in Leviticus. You couldn't eat pork. I, I like my pork. I had pork roast this week. You couldn't eat shrimp or lobster. All the things that we enjoy today, you could not eat under the law. Now, when Jesus went to the cross, he nailed some of those ordinances to the cross, didn't he? Aren't you thankful for that? Did you know all of you would be violating the law today? Every one of you. How do I know? Because you could not wear a garment mixed with polyester and wool. And all of you have blended garments on. It was against the law. Farmers couldn't have two crops on the same farm. You say, why all those extreme things? God taught often with hyperboles. You know, the hyperbole is an exaggeration. Even Jesus taught by exaggerating things. Remember, he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Do you really want us gouging our eyes out? No. But he wanted to illustrate a point. And God wanted to teach the principle of salvation, so they had all those rules to separate from the world. We're still supposed to separate from the world, amen? We're not supposed to be like the world, but we're no longer under all those handwritten ordinances. They were nailed to the cross. So we're free to enjoy our meats. And, uh, you know, people all over the world eat different things that we think are yuck, and people all over the world probably think what we eat is yuck. But we're free to eat it. And so prior to the law, Pastor, when did the law begin? Genesis chapter 20. So from Exodus chapter 20, I apologize. Exodus 20. From Genesis 1 to Exodus 20, they had the liberty to eat anything they wanted to eat. Then in Exodus 20, the law is instituted. And they couldn't eat things until Jesus Christ nailed it to the cross. And he made it very plain to Peter. You can eat this stuff. 
And Peter and, and James and John all knew that they could mingle with Gentiles. Jesus taught them so many examples. Remember the woman at the well. What are you doing, Lord? And the woman says, talking to me. I'm, I'm a woman. I'm Samaritan. Uh, you know, what are you talking to me for? And the disciples were even startled by the way he would intermingle and interact with Gentiles. He taught them that Gentiles are as important as Jews. Now, they were the covenant people. We understand that. In fact, the New Testament, the writers quite often refer to Gentiles as sinners. They use that term synonymously. A Gentile sinner, a Gentile sinner. That's, they're, they're referred to them as the same way. Why? Because they're outside the covenant. But the Lord made it very clear that they are equal to Jews. In fact, Deuteronomy 10, 17, the law says God is not a respecter of persons. God's just is in love and cares just as much about the brand new saved person, the hobo that gets saved uh, from the guttermost to the uttermost. You know, they say uh, it, it, from the person who's saved from the least in life, he's just as important in God's family. Jews were no more important than Gentiles in God's eyes. They were blessed because the Bible said they had the oracles of God. They had the great prophets, Elijah and Moses. They were so blessed. Yet what did they do? They rejected God. And then God said, I'm going to graft another people in. And he drew the Gentiles in. But all these laws and all these things. So look at verse 12 again. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 12. And we want you to see this and mark your Bibles. Mark these words. And before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself. The word here, separated, is the word horizon. In other words, he put distance between he and the Jews. He got away from them. Physically, got away from the Jews. Separated himself from them. Why? What does the next word say? Fearing. Fearing the Jews. And that's the strongest Greek word for fear you'll find. It's the word phobos. We get a word phobia. I mean, Peter was really afraid of the Jews. And sadly, because of his fear of them, it caused him to, to trip up and make a mistake. I love Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Never fear man more than God. Let me tell you something. When you're in sin, you ought to have a phobia about God because he'll whip you. You don't have to have a phobia about God when you're living right. He's a wonderful heavenly father. But as a heavenly father, when you're in sin, he'll throw you over his knee. Been there, done that. Understand the concept. I had an earthly father that did it. I've had a heavenly father that did it. You understand that as well. And so he feared man, and because of that, he got up and he physically moved away from the Gentiles. Went to the other side of the marketplace and spent time with these Jews that had come up from Jerusalem and avoided the Gentiles. So what did Paul do? Paul just went and confronted him. He went and confronted him. Look at uh, verse 13. It says here, And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with a dissimulation. Barnabas said, hey, I'm, I'm going to get away from the Gentiles as well. The word dissimulation is the word hypocron. We know that's the word hypocrisy. They were hypocrites, weren't they? You ever know a Christian who's a hypocrite? 
act one way one time and another way around another crowd. That's what's going on here. I mean, these are the apostles. Peter spent three and a half years with the Lord and knew the Lord's compassion for the Gentiles. And yet, what does he do? He gets up and physically moves and he's a leader. And so Barnabas follows. He's carried away with this hypocrisy as well. And they won't get near the Gentiles because the Jews are in town. And, you know, in the military ministry all those years, 20 years, 19 years of military ministry, you have the officers and you have the enlisted. And you had clubs. We'd go into the officers' club, and we knew all we'd see was officers. We'd go in the enlisted club, we'd need to see the, all the enlisted men. They didn't fraternize. They didn't uh, come together much. They discouraged getting together. Now, I don't understand that, but the military discouraged it. They call it fraternization. And so, uh, I, it was, as a pastor, you know, you have colonels in your church, and you have private second class in your church just get out of boot camp and they're all one and and I have never been in the military I love the military my dad was in my father-in-law retired he always says he was retarded from the military but we know that that uh, they spent their love and then in their careers in the military and and so when I was a pastor it was hard for me to understand the concept and I broke the rules I remember one time a colonel came up to me and and he, I was brand new as a pastor, church in Okinawa. And he, he said, I don't like the way we do our missions. And if you don't change it, I'm taking my Marines and I'm leaving. And he thought, I guess I'd be intimidated. And I just wasn't. I've never been in the military. I said, then take your Marines and go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a 30-something-year-old pastor, church of 350. It ended up growing to almost 800. About two weeks later, he came to my house. He had all these groceries, carrying all this meat in. I couldn't go on the BX and get food. Just packing my freezer and all this. Ended up being one of my most loyal men, taught my adult Sunday school class. And one day he, he said, you know what I liked about you? <laughs> he said, I came to you and you could care less about my rank. <laughs> and you put me in my place and I needed it. And I was like, I didn't know about rank either. I mean, I hardly really, I was in the... For 10 years in Panama, in the military ministry to Navy and Army, and I go to Okinawa, it's all Air Force and Marines. But when you've never been in, you know, you don't shake in your boots around an officer. Um, And so maybe that was good that I didn't know the system, because maybe I'd have treated him as a respecter person, and maybe I'd have given him his way and dropped our missions program. I don't know. But he's a great guy. He's a preacher today. I licensed him to preach. Great guy. My point is, he was no more important than anyone else. And he liked it that I pursued ministry that way. And, uh, and we had deacons that were ordained as very young, low-ranking men. And we had high-ranking men on our deacon board. They had to learn to fraternize in the deacons' meetings. But I love the military. Let's get off that. I'm, I'm, I'm rambling, aren't I? But anyway, look at verse 14. He says, the hypocrisy got out of hand. But when I saw that they walked... Not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all. And I'm paraphrasing. You know, why do you act one way around the Jews and another way around the Gentiles? Before everybody, he confronted them. Wow, this took courage. Paul was a gutsy guy. The word uprightly is our word orthopedia. We get our word orthodontist and uh, orthopedic from that. 
It means to straighten. He said, you're not walking straight. Years ago, I heard Dr. Robertson say, don't vary to the right, don't vary to the left, go right down the line, straight down the line, straight down the line. I thought, wow, go straight down the line, I guess. That's the word here. He said, Peter, you're not doing the right thing. You're not going straight down the line. You're, you're, you're doing the wrong thing. The gospel is to the Jew and the Gentile. We're all one in Christ. Do you know one of the mysteries in the Bible? We talk about all the mysteries. One of the mysteries is that a husband and a wife would become one. Did you know that? That's a mystery. You know one of the other mysteries? Jews and Gentiles become one. Isn't it interesting how when we had a church in Okinawa, we had three or four hundred probably people who were not Caucasian. Now, probably 400 were, but a lot of them weren't. We had a lot of Asians in our church and all different types of military people. And one time I said to, to, to someone, I said, it was Christmas time, and of course we always have the blue-eyed Jesus, and he wasn't blue-eyed, you know, in our manger. And I said, do you know, Jesus probably looked more like Osama bin Laden. I didn't say this back then. When did I say this? He wasn't even Osama bin Laden. But I said, look more like Osama bin Laden than Billy Graham. I don't know which, which person I picked back then. But did you know that? Jesus looks more like Osama bin Laden than Billy Graham. We, we want him to be, to fit our ideals, but Jesus wasn't a Caucasian, just so you know. And, and if we're going to love Jesus, we're going to love all people. Rich and poor, black and white, it doesn't matter. I love my little girl. She's Filipino. Do you think it's ever crossed my mind that you know, my little Filipino girl, that I should love her? Or, of course not. It's never crossed my mind. I never look at her and say, there's my Filipino girl. There's my dark girl. I don't do that. She's my daughter. We adopted her. She's as much my daughter's. my four sons are my sons. Love her like crazy. What kind of father would I be if I said, well, my four natural born sons, I love them more. You'd say, you'd be a terrible father. Of course I would. I'd be a respecter of persons. What do you think God the Father's like? You think he loves one person? You think he loves Jews more than Gentiles? No. God's not a respecter of persons. And, and so he, he, Paul says to Peter before everybody, getting back to the text, he says, Peter, before everybody, he says, I said it to Peter, you're a hypocrite. And then he says, you're, you're, you're acting one way in front of some people and another way in front of other people. And he said, I said unto Peter before them all. Do you know what the Bible says, 1 Timothy 5.20? Elders that sin need to rebuke, be rebuked before everybody. Paul didn't say, Peter, come here alone. That's, that's the normal way we confront someone, right? One on one. Not in this case. Peter was a high church leader. Later, Paul calls him the pillar in the church. Or last week we read that. So he says in front of everybody, pillar, uh, pillar, Peter, pillar, Peter, you're out of line, man. You've pulled away and you're sitting over here and ignoring the Gentile brethren over there and you eat with them all the time. The grammar there makes it very clear that he'd spent eat, time eating with them on a regular basis. And all of a sudden, he's on the other side of the market from him, the other side of the restaurant. Won't acknowledge them. Now, there's been times in my life I've been a respecter of persons. Try not to be, but 
there's been times I've thought about people who just embarrass me. It wasn't usually about how they look. Just you just kind of, oh, this guy, I hope he doesn't come over here. I, he is a weird guy. You know, you have those times. I understand that. But never should we avoid people because they're different. We can avoid people who uh, we know get on our nerves or, <laughs> you know, maybe uh, will bring harm to us or embarrass us. I was at a restaurant years ago and a, a lady sat down next to us and you could tell she's in a bad mood. Just the way she set her purse down. Something about a woman in her purse. It just went down like that. And she looked over at us and I thought, oh boy. And she just started rallying on us verbally. She was a little bit off her rocker. Member of Anchor Hope. No, I'm just kidding. And I was like, well, I went into that same buffet years later. I saw her in the restaurant. I said, we're not going near that one lady. I didn't say it out loud, but I went to the other side of the restaurant. I'm not saying it's wrong to avoid people, but when we look down on people because they're less educated, have less money, are not of our race, we're sinning. And so Paul rebukes Peter here before everyone. And this book of Galatia, Galatians was read out loud in all the churches of Galatia, so they all heard about it. Now pick up in verse 15. He said, we who are Jews by nature, those who are born Jews, those who are born Jews and not sinners. Remember we explained that sinners is used synonymously with Gentiles and not sinners of the Gentiles. He said, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law. And Paul says here, he, he says here that as you, as you read through this, Paul is saying here, when I read Scripture and know Scripture and know about God, I realize that I am no better than the Gentiles. That's what Paul says. Jews are no better than the Gentiles. That's how he summarizes this. He says here in verse 15, let me go back to it. Verse 15, he says, Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law. You know, I love Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 4. But grace you save through faith. Grace and faith. And not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We're saved by faith. But the word law here is the general word for law. There are specific words. This is the general word. It includes all kinds of things, like the, the, the Exodus 20 to Deuteronomy. It can include the whole Old Testament. It can include the civil law. Civil law, all the traffic ordinances. It can include the moral law. Did you know that before Scripture they had a moral law? People knew about God. They knew right from wrong. How did Abraham know about tithing? There was no Bible. They had the moral law and God spoke to them audibly. He spoke to them just like I'm speaking to you. And so he says here that we can't be, no one can be justified by the law. And he says here, I like verse 17. Basically, he says, if we seek the real truth about justification, we find that Jews are just as much sinners as Gentiles. That's what Paul says, and I'm paraphrasing. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. We're no better than the Gentiles who we call sinners. And, you know, a lot of times we come to church and we... uh, we feel like we're really righteous. 
you know, I'm going to church now. I got my suit on and this is my 29 year old suit. And I really, you know, I'm righteous and, and I got to put on, you know, I really got to impress everybody with how spiritual I am. You don't impress God, I'll tell you. All right. Let's be real. What are we really? That's what Paul says. You and I are just as rotten to the core. The only reason we're in church is because of the grace of God. Not because we're good, but because His grace is good. We just put faith in Him and He does the the cleanup job. And He says here in verse 18, basically Christ nailed the ordinances to the cross. Now, Verse 20, memorize this verse. I am crucified with Christ. What a great verse. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live by the faith of God. I've lost my place, but I was trying to quote it and lost my place. By the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. That's identification. He loved me and gave himself for me. That's substitution. But notice in this verse, I'm crucified with Christ. Three people were physically crucified with Christ, weren't they? Two people, excuse me. There were three of them crucified together. Two thieves with Christ. This is not what it's talking about. We have to be crucified to Christ. That means we have to die to our old nature. And the difference for us is we have to die daily. And that's, that's tough for us. It's one thing for the two guys to be crucified on the cross and go straight to heaven. That would have been easier because we have to die daily. That's hard. We have to die daily. President McKinley was picking an embassy for a foreign country. He had two men in mind. And he had experiences living in the city with both men. He chose one over the other because he remembered the other when he was on a bus one time. He was sitting way in the back of the bus, and, and the other guy was sitting in the front of the bus, and two or three seats back, and a lady came in with a basket full of laundry, and she didn't have anywhere to seat, sit, to be seated. And he looked at her, and he, he said, well, nobody's offering this lady a seat. So he offered his seat, and she sat in his seat, and he held her basket. And the fact that that guy didn't offer the lady his seat sat with him all those years. He said, well, he's not humble enough for the position. Back then, you know, people, we had some integrity in our, in our political leaders. And, and he said, if he can't be a gentleman, he can't be on my staff. And he chose the other guy. Humility is interesting, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, remaining silent while others get credit for something you did. That's Humility. Humility is is not saying they owe me an apology. No. Humility is saying, I'll be fine without an apology. I'm going to forgive them. Father, forgive them for they know, know not what they do. Humility is going to someone and saying, I apologize, will you forgive me? Humility doesn't demand apologies, it gives them. Jesus, I love Jesus. Humble. Meek and lowly. Never sinned. Still went out of his way to accommodate people. But I think about being crucified with Christ. Here it says in verse 20 again. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but what? Christ liveth 
in me. He's in you. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. Here, and Paul is writing one of these prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon were written from a prison. And he says here, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Are you aware that he's in you? If you're a child of God, he's in there. Yesterday, I was talking to a Christian about the battles we face. And I said, every day, old Dan and new Dan are at war. Old Dan wants to do one thing, but new Dan... Christ in me says, I got to do something different. And there's a battle. And if if I'm going to really please the Lord, I'm not going to live to please old Dan. I have to live to please others because new Dan is all about other people. It's not about me. You know, one day some of us need to wake up.